What's up, Bandive crew? James here. And before we jump into this episode, I wanted to ask you a question. Have you ever wished there was a way to connect with me as well as other listeners in real time? I have the solution. I finally got around to making a Bandive Discord server, which is people have been asking me for years and I just wasn't listening. I wish I had done this sooner because I couldn't be happier with the results. It's been fantastic. And we would love to see you join us. We have discussions about the music business, gear, the podcast, and a general channel as well. You can join the discussion now by visiting bandhive.rocks slash discord. Again, that is bandhive.rocks slash discord. Welcome to episode 70 of the Bandhive podcast. You're listening to the Bandhive podcast, the number one online resource for DIY bands to learn about the music business and touring. If you want to turn your band into a lean, mean touring machine, you're in the right place. Now, let's get this show on the road. It is time for another episode of the Bandhive Podcast. My name is James Cross, and I'm here with Matt Hose of Alive in Barcelona. How are you doing today, Matt? I am doing all right. Nice and sore from a long day of snow shoveling yesterday. We got uh, dumped on. We got two feet of snow everywhere. We live out kind of in the prairie, so that made for like three to four foot snow drifts everywhere. So it was a big old nice wall of snow going down my driveway. Feels like the mountains, but everywhere. So uh, good today. The sun is rising and it looks beautiful. All of the grounds are covered in snow and life is great. How are things over there on the east side, James? Well, I'm glad to hear that. We had our first big melt of the year and then we immediately got more snow, just a dusting on top of that. <laughs> the good old refreeze. Oh, yeah. But I am looking forward to springtime. It's in the air and daylight savings time has kicked in as of two days ago. So I'm really happy about that. You know, it's actually light out when I eat dinner. That's a plus. And yeah, it's things are good. And I'm really excited about today's episode as well, because we've talked a lot about merch in the past. We've actually done three episodes about selling merch. So if you want to check those out, I'm going to drop them real quick. Episode 18, No Money in Music, Think Again, Start Selling Your Merchandise. You can find that by going to bandhive.rocks slash 18. Episode 21, Selling Merch When the Pandemic Ends, How to Make Your Merch Table Stand Out, bandhive.rocks slash 21 to hear that one. And much more recently, 49, Why Online Merch Stores Are No Longer Optional for Bands, How to Sell More Merch Online. That one's at bandhive.rocks slash 49. The inspiration for today's episode came from my friend Matt Bacon. Not to be confused with you, Matt Hose, Matt Bacon. We had him as a guest back on episode 53 of the podcast. So here's another episode shout out. That was number 53, Getting Signed the Most Common Types of Record Deals with Matt Bacon of Dropout Media. Matt's a super chill guy. You can listen to that episode by going to bandhive.rocks slash 53. So now I've pitched four other episodes for you to listen to once you're done listening to this one. If you haven't already tuned out, which you probably have, because, you know, if you're smart, you're going back and listening to those episodes. But if you're even smarter, you will listen to this one first and then go back to those. So we had a chat on Friday and basically I asked Matt, hey, you know, when you're trying to sell bands on your services, you're totally open on the fact that you're selling to them. And you say, hey, I want to hit five sales today. I want to hit 10 sales today. Most people, when they're selling stuff, kind of leave that off. They're like, I'm going to do this and this and this and this. Oh, and by the way, this is what it costs. Just so you know, like this is the price. But Matt Bacon just says, I want to sell this many products today of the various products and services he has. And he says, this is what they cost. Let me know what you need. And he told me, well, that's something I learned as a merch seller. 
So today, we're going to dive deep into why sometimes you should publicize the goals that you set. Now, you should always have goals. Not all goals are appropriate to be discussed publicly, but many times they are. So we are going to go into that today. And here's the key thing I want to say. What I realized is that there is no reason not to tell your fans or followers how many merch sales you want to make. And that's going to be one of the main things we talk about today, but there are some other categories where this will come in handy as well. So Matt, if you want to jump in and tell people why we should publicize goals that we are setting. Absolutely. So people like to be a part of something. If you can find me somebody that doesn't want to be a part of something, I I would be impressed. They are by far the minority. And if they don't want to be a part of something, chances are you don't know that because you haven't met them because they don't want to be a part of it. So this makes us in this perfect little spot where we're standing at the merch table, you play a show and people want to be a part of what you're doing. You know they want to be a part of what you're doing because they're already at the show. Then on top of that, they already walked up to the merch table. You have two positive reinforcing events that are leading you to this uh, awesome possibility of not only selling some merch, but of creating a lifelong fan. We talk about this all the time where you want to develop quality relationships with people. And one way that you can do that is making them feel included. Now, when you tell people your goals flat out, it lets them know that you are serious. I'm sure many of you have worked in either restaurants or retail where the store has a sales goal. Some of the time they will actually even have diagrams in the back or some type of infographic for you to look at. The classic one is the giant thermometer. You know, we all see, oh, here's the thermometer, or sometimes it's a rocket. You know, as soon as we fill up the rocket, the rocket goes to the moon. Oh, as soon as we fill up the thermometer, you know, we're going to throw a pizza party for people. A lot of the time, this is incentive driven with some type of party or, or whatever, if we meet our goal, right? Now, why do your bosses tell you that? Because they want you to be included in it. They want you to know that they're serious. And on top of that, they want to incentivize it. Now, I don't care how much money Safeway makes. If I worked as a bagger for Safeway and they were telling me, you know, like, oh yeah, we need to make this much money, I wouldn't care. But the second that they turn around and say, like, oh yeah, like, you know, we have this milestone that we're trying to reach. Here's this time frame that we're trying to do. Like, and on top of that, if we get to the end, here's this incentive. Well, now all of a sudden, you have the path laid out in front of you, you have a deadline for when that needs to be accomplished, and you have a reward if it happens. So now instantly, now now when you actually can see the process and know that you're a part of that process, to know that that sales goal has to be met by way of you working harder, now you are a cog in the machine and now you're becoming a part of that team. You're helping reach that goal. And when you give somebody a goal, it doesn't matter what that goal is. If you give somebody responsibility, and this is true of any type of responsibility, if you give someone responsibility and they have the opportunity to shine, they will always feel a sense of accomplishment when that is achieved. So in different industries, this is always gonna take a different look. In music, it's very simple. You can literally tell people what you're trying to do. Like you just mentioned, James, Matt Bacon will tell people how much something costs and tell people how much he's trying to sell that day. People want to be included. People want to be a part of something. So, you know, some people really feel like the telling people your sales goals is like a bad sales tactic. And I 
personally think it's a brilliant sales tactic because you're starting off on the right foot. You're starting off by bringing people in. So like when you bring people in and they're a part of something, when they help build whatever it is that you are trying to create, that's networking. Okay. And so your merch table, just like we've talked about a whole bunch in the past where your merch table is really what generates most of your money as a touring artist. Your merch table is what generates a lot of the the mysticism that you as a band have. When a fan comes and watches you play, they don't interact with you on stage. They interact with you at the merch table. And so like the merch table has a very dynamic role in your business. When you bring people in to be a part of that and when the merch table is your medium for accomplishing your goals, that builds a network. And that is one of the most powerful things ever. Now, you want to be careful. You don't want to just like rush in and say, like, oh, here's all of our sales goals and blah, 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 this. There are reasons to not tell people your sales goals. If you have a five-year goal, you don't need to tell the person at your merge table, maybe they'll be around for five years, which would be awesome. And maybe they're going to be actively, patiently waiting and listening for you to achieve that five-year goal. But chances are, you know, it's the short-term goals that you really want to do. You know, I'm trying to make X amount of sales tonight. We are trying to raise X amount of dollars in the next 20 days. We'll be posting videos about it. If you tell people that your goal is $500 before you even play, or for instance, you know, lately there's been a lot of live streams that have been going on. So if you like tell people at the beginning of your live stream, like, hey, you know, we're doing these live stream shows, like we have exclusive merch for sale. Our goal is to make $500 of merch before the live stream is over. You've got a QR code or you have your Venmo information up on screen and, and you just start playing. Maybe you'll reach it and maybe you won't. But I will honestly tell you, I can guarantee you will make more money if you start off including people into what you're doing, setting a clear intention of what it is that you're trying to do, setting a clear picture of you know what the benefit is for your listeners and for your viewers. And basically, once everybody knows their job and once everybody knows their incentive, that's when the wheels start turning. Yeah, absolutely. And on that note, something else that you might not want to publicize is if you're planning on doing a series of 10 live streams, don't tell the fans that you're going to do 10 because they have no control over that. That's not a goal that they need to know about. And what's more is if they know that going in, then they're going to say, oh, you know what? I can skip this one because there's going to be nine more. So goals like that, you don't want to shoot yourself in the foot. The goals that you talk about should be like the goals you mentioned, Matt, things that the fans can take action on and control the outcome. It should not be any type of goal that you solely control the outcome on. It should not be anything long-term because a fan's attention span isn't that long. You want to do something that's, you know, that night or a week or a month, something like that. I would not go over a month typically. So we've gone over some types of goals that would make sense to tell your fans. So the first thing is going to be a merge goal. We've already been talking about that. And you can set that up in a couple different ways, actually four different ways. You can talk about total income. So you say, hey, I want to sell $1,500 worth of merch tonight. You can do total sales. So you can say, I want to sell to 100 individual people tonight, or at least 100 total transactions. You know, if somebody comes back and purchases again, you count that as a separate sale. Or you can say total items sold. So you're like, hey, I want to sell... 300 items between t-shirts, CDs, and vinyl, or whatever products you have. So that way, if somebody comes in and buys 20 things, that counts 20 times rather than just once, which is what would happen with total sales. Or perhaps the most accurate is you can try to hit a certain per head. Now that one's going to be more complicated 
to explain to people who might be interested in buying merch. But you can figure out what your per head goal is and then apply it to the number of people at the show. Because as a refresher, we've talked about this in the past, the per head is your merch revenue for the event divided by the number of attendees. So if you have 150 people at the show and you want to sell at, let's say, a $5 per head, which is not extremely high, but definitely higher than most would be able to reasonably expect, but let's, for even number purposes, put it out there. 150 people times a $5 per head would be $750 in income. So then you just say, hey, I'm trying to sell $750 of merch tonight. And as long as you hit $750, then you know you got your $5 per head. And so that's how you can kind of work backwards to turn a per head goal into a total income goal and make it much easier to explain to fans who have no idea what a per head is without trying to get them to do math when they're three beers in at the bar. You can also break these goals down into specific goals. For example, if you're doing merch online and you're selling pre-orders for your new CD, you can say, hey, I want to hit 50 pre-orders of my new album, but I want at least 20 of those to be a bundle rather than just the CD or download or vinyl. So here's the bundle. We only need to sell three more. We're so close. Thank you to everyone who's already purchased. And hey, if three more people purchase it and we hit our goal, then everyone who bought the bundle is going to get an extra sticker pack. Boom. That's incentive for three people right there to go buy because not only are they going to get a free sticker pack, but then like, oh, hey, you know what? I'm going to help out these other fans and they're going to get free stickers too. That's then saying, hey, if three people buy, you're helping out everyone. Another thing you could do is set a streaming goal. If you have a new release dropping, whether it's a single, an EP or an album or anything in between, any kind of release, tell people how many streams you're going for within the first day, the first week or the first month. Now you have to be realistic about this. Look at your past releases and say, hey, you know what? On this release, we got a thousand streams on the first day. And, you know, we have twice as many monthly listeners now. So let's say 2,500 and push them a little bit. And then you just keep telling people, hey, we're so close. Thank you so much. We're so close. Like, keep going, keep going. Now, with Spotify, the stats are delayed by a day. So that can be tough to do. But if you do a week, you can certainly keep track of it as the week goes on and tell people, hey, you know what? We're almost at our goal of 10,000 streams the first week. We have 500 left to go, and we've got a day left. Come on, you can do this. If we hit this goal, anyone who pre-ordered the album will get XYZ, a five-minute Skype session with us, or a free Zoom concert, or something like that. And it doesn't have to be necessarily one-on-one stuff for each of the people who pre-ordered. You can just say, hey, everyone who pre-ordered, here's the Zoom link. Join us Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time for the show. We'll record it if you can't make it, and we'll put it on a private or unlisted YouTube video. Boom, done. Here's another thing you can do. If you want to make it a little bit more exclusive, there's now third-party apps that allow you, you know, things like Zoom. It's invite-only. It's password protected. So let's say you set a goal, and anybody who is a part of that goal, then you can send out a Zoom password to all of those people. And then what's the incentive? Oh, next time we're in the studio, I am just going to start a Zoom call, and I will literally chat with like, 150 of you guys, and I will give you literally live studio updates where you have the ability to interact with me in a chat or, you know, where it's not pre-recorded or anything like that. Now you're selling a literal piece of exclusivity. And that is, I mean, that's gold. There's a huge, huge, huge amount of power in keeping things exclusive. 
you know, if people only have the opportunity, you know, like you were saying just a second ago, James, with if you're telling people that you have 10 live streams, they have time, essentially. If their goal is to see a live stream, then they have 10 opportunities to do that. Now, if you say, I have a live stream and their goal is to see a live stream, they are more incentivized to go to that live stream because they feel as though it's one exclusive moment. They don't know about the other ones and they might miss their opportunity. Same thing here. It's like if you go and you have a Kickstarter program or an Indiegogo or, or a Patreon or whatever, if you tell your people your goal and then you set things like, hey, here's the reward for it. Come be a part of this exclusive thing that we're doing. You know, James, you mentioned adding something to a bundle deal. If we get this number of sales, then everybody gets stickers. You know, that's awesome. You're adding a value add. And on top of that, it's a value add for everybody. And so again, it's with that community. It's with that networking. People love to be a part of things. They love to be a part of things. So, you know, if you're raising money for something and you have group A and group B and group A these are your diehard fans, and they're the ones that kickstart. They're the ones that Indiegogo. They're the ones that are donating your funds. If you don't have something exclusive for them, you know, you're know you muddying the waters in between these two groups, and you don't want to do that. Your VIPs are your VIPs for life, and so you need to do whatever you can to cater to them. The director, Kevin Smith, anybody who doesn't know who that is, I would highly recommend you go read a little bit about his life. Kevin Smith has directed all manner of movies for a very, very, very long time, was known not for the movies that he did, but for the way that he interacted with his fans. He would take everything that they would say to heart, almost to the point where he quit making movies because he started getting poor feedback. But he literally loves his fans so much that he would do press conference after press conference, exclusive material for people, constantly integrating with his fans. And he would just straight up tell people, I do this because I love my fans. And that right there was like, in my opinion, it's one of the most powerful, it's not even a sales tactic. It's literally truth. It's honesty. It's like, which one of us doesn't want to spend our entire career hanging out with the people that support us the most? Like, imagine playing a show and everybody that's there is your biggest fan. That's incredible. That is the goal. And so when you create some type of exclusivity for these people, whether it be, you know, like a bumper sticker or one really good idea is a wristband. Now, this was an idea that my brother had years ago that if somebody comes and they donate to your Kickstarter or your Indiegogo, make up a bumper sticker or a bracelet that says, I built so-and-so band. I built Alive in Barcelona. I made Alive in Barcelona. There's the idea behind making it in the music industry. You know, with every dollar that crosses over that merch table, that is a dollar that is helping you make it. And so when these people are rewarded with a bumper sticker that literally says, you know, I made Alive in Barcelona, that stimulates people. That invigorates people. That gets people like their blood pumping. And you know what? A lot of the time it's like, man, if you could buy a t-shirt for $25 or you get a t-shirt and a CD and a wristband for 30 bucks... Most people are going to end up up in that, Annie, and they're going for the $30 bundle. And then on top of that, that's a special feeling to people. You know, that's a moment. Just like when I was talking about Craig Owens tons of episodes ago, I still remember that moment from when I was a kid. When you create moments at your merch table and at all of your online platforms as well, you're creating a unique experience for people that they will remember for the rest of their lives. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to add to that with Kickstarter and Indiegogo, it's normal and expected to have a goal. So bands who've done crowdfunding have already put goals out there. Now we're saying just expand this. For example, with Patreon, goals aren't really a thing. You know, on there, it's more about the individual. You subscribe on Patreon and you get this. 
But if all of a sudden you, as the person who's running the Patreon, says, hey, you know what? When we hit $1,000 in monthly income, we're going to send you all a free, unreleased EP. That's going to be killer because that's exclusive to those Patreon backers. And it's setting a goal saying, hey, we want to hit $1,000 a month. We're at 900 right now, so we're almost there. Invite some friends, get us over the edge, and you all get this free EP. And then you can go on and say, and if we make it to 1500 we won't just send a download. We will actually pay to have CDs pressed and mail them out to you, as long as you're within the U.S. and Canada, or if you cover shipping internationally. Boom. That's great, because that's what's called a stretch goal. Matt Bacon also mentioned that, and I think stretch goals are amazing, whether it's for you know, a Kickstarter, a Patreon, or even just your pre-sales, because that's something else we can talk about. Crowdfunding is not the only place that you should be giving early buyers or backers an extra bonus. You can do that for your own pre-sales as well. So even though it's already common on Kickstarter and other platforms like that, why not just say, hey, we're doing pre-sales for our album, and if you're one of the first 20 people to buy, we're going to throw in a free t-shirt on top of the bundle that you're already buying. Boom, you're going to make more sales. Or if you're at a show, give fans an incentive to buy by saying, hey, if you get two other friends to buy merch as well, we'll give each of you 20% off. Because, yeah, you're losing that 20%, but you're making two more sales that you would not have made otherwise. That's right. That's actually one of the best, most successful pieces of power in merch sales in general is you have two friends that walk up to your merch table. You sell bundles. If one person wants a t-shirt and the other one doesn't really, and you're saying, oh, well, it's one for 25 or it's two for 40. So now it's instantly $10 off. And like you were saying at $50, $10 off, that would be your 20%. And so like you were saying, you can word it however you want. It's like, oh, I could do one for 25 or you could both get one for 20 bucks each. And then instantly they're turning to each other and they're saying, oh, do you you want a shirt? And they're like, oh, you know, maybe I hadn't thought of it. You know, and that's when you can start your actual sales tactics or whatever, or, or whatever it is that you're actually, you know, saying like, oh yeah, like look at this design, I'll, you know, feel this cloth, whatever, whatever ideas or, or salesmanship tactics you want to use for the actual sale and helping people what to choose. But the most important part is like, you have the opportunity, like you are in control of this business. Many episodes ago, we talked about least of all, and their their unique printings and pressings of vinyls. How about for a Kickstarter idea, a stretch goal? You say, oh, you know, like our goal is $1,000 or whatever, and we're going to do this and blah, blah, blah. Here's incentive package number one. But our stretch goal is going to be that if we end up making it up to, you know, 1500 bucks from 1000 well, then our top five donors are going to get this one-of-a-kind, least-of-all pressed vinyl. You can build incentives for your fans. You can build incentives for other businesses. And as you do this, little by little, you get ahead. And before you know it, you start to back out and you can see your whole view and you realize, wow, we now have incentives at every single level of our sales. We now have exclusive material. You know, we have exclusive material going out over mail blast. We have exclusive material going out with pre-orders. We have exclusive material going out when we go on tour and they're all different. So now your true fans, they are literally incentivized at every level to keep paying attention. That is the most important part, especially in the social media world, because you know everybody has ADD now because we have so much medial content coming to us constantly. So when you actually have all these different ways that your fans can basically be a part of your exclusivity, to be a part of something bigger than themselves, and they know it, 
you've clearly laid out those expectations, those clearly laid out those goals, clearly laid out those incentives. Then all of a sudden you have people that are like, yeah, man, like I built Alive in Barcelona. I made Alive in Barcelona. And you know what? Me as the singer of Alive in Barcelona is like, yes, you did make Alive in Barcelona. And every single step that we have to take in order to make things better and get further, you did that. Not us. We're here to entertain you. You are the blood behind our band. And when people have that mentality, then that's when you really create a lifelong fan base. Absolutely. And there's just one last thing I want to add to this. And I'm going to shout out that least of all episode because they do this as well. If you want to listen to that one, it's number 44, creating unique music memorabilia for each of your fans with Aaron Zimmer of Least of All Sound Recordings. And what they do is they have a time limit. They add a sense of urgency. There's scarcity on everything that they pitch because they say pre-orders are open for this amount of time. And that's how we know how many takes the artist has to do for our records. After pre-orders have closed, it's too bad. It's in production. You cannot get any more because they're one of a kind and the artist is already working on it. We can't just say, hey, you know what? We need another take. Like, go back into the studio and do another recording. That's not how it works. You can also add scarcity by quantity. So, Matt, you had an example of when you were selling photo books on tour. You got five of them signed and said, hey, I'm selling five of these tonight only five. And you sold most of them right away. That's incredible. Instantly. I didn't even wait for the show to open. I got off the bus and I walked out to the line. I told kids, I said, look, this is a photo book. I'm going to show you one page. And I opened it to the centerfold page, which was this beautiful picture of the band playing Warp Tour. And there were nice wide margins on both sides. So I had all four members sign on top of each other. And I went out and I showed that picture to the kids in line. And I said, I'm only selling five of these. And generally before I had the opportunity to tell them how much it was, kids had their wallets in their hands, ready to fist fight each other for the opportunity to have a piece of memorabilia. Same thing goes with, let's say you're going on tour around Halloween, like making a Halloween shirt. This is why tour shirts are always popular. Like anybody that's ever been on tour a few times has probably heard somebody come up to the table and say like, oh, is, is there a shirt that has the tour dates on it? That again is a unique piece of memorabilia because it has the specific dates that you were in specific cities. Selling cymbals, drum heads. Drum heads are nice because it's a low cost item that you could turn around and sell to somebody for like 10 bucks and they have a piece of memorabilia. You know, you're never going to have a drum head with the same dents and divots in it. And, you know, that kid is going to remember that forever. Same with a cymbal. You have a broken cymbal. That's a one of a kind piece of memorabilia. So you have to change your paradigm instead of thinking, oh, I have a broken symbol. You say, no, I have a piece of memorabilia on that tour. Now, granted, this is a large band who has a very substantial following. I was able to sell their broken symbols at the cost of brand new symbols. So I replaced all of the drummer's symbols without a single penny being spent to replace them. And he was literally so blown away because no other merch person had ever done that. And I was like, I personally was blown away because exclusivity is literally the most important thing ever. If I tell you that Walmart has a billion of this t-shirt and they're going to continue to print more as long as it's selling, you don't really feel inclined to go. There's no sense of urgency. But if you're like, oh my gosh, there's one of those. There's one symbol. And if I walk away from this merch table, somebody else at this show might walk up and buy it. And I've actually had that happen before where people said like, oh, I want to buy that symbol, but I don't want to carry it around with me. And if you are a smart merch person, then you say, 
I can take the money right now and I'll pull it off the table and you can come back and collect it at the end because that's one of a kind. And those tend to go every single show. And then instantly people are like, okay, cool. Now you kind of have this like gap of like, he's like, oh, do I buy it? And oh, will someone else buy it? And so now he's like working against multiple things in his mind about whether or not he's, you know, whether or not the dominoes will fall and he will come and purchase that symbol or whatever piece of memorabilia it is. The, the point is, is he will have a decision that he has to make and it has a timestamp on it. So, you know, when you have that in people's minds, that is a great way to light a fire under them and say like, hey, we've got three weeks for this campaign. If you donate, you're going to get an exclusive press. You're going to get, you know, a one of a kind acoustic version of a song that we have. You're going to get this awesome monthly, you know, newsletter that only you guys get. You're going to get a video chat from the singer of the band. Oh, we're going to have an exclusive practice where we literally live stream the practice. And the only people that are going to get that opportunity to come to that live stream are going to be donors. You know, there's a billion and one things that you can do, and it's up to you to be creative. Google marketing ideas for bands. I'm sure that there's people out there on Reddit or, you know, on some blog post that have like told their crazy stories. Tour laminates. Everybody that goes on tour gets an all access pass, right? Well, how about the non all access pass? In my opinion, that is the number one selling item in history because everybody wants to be a part of it. What a wonderful value add. This is a non-all-access pass. It's a $5 value add. Over in Europe, I've literally heard stories about kids buying three or four of them where they're just like, oh, here's 20 bucks. I want four. And you're just like, okay, awesome. Every musician loves having the tour pass hanging off of their waist. Do you think the fans that come to those shows are any different? They see that as a status symbol and that's awesome to them. So if you have a $5 status symbol that people can buy, like I can't even remember what band it was, but they sold 60,000 of them on a one month tour in Europe. I mean, and that's ridiculous. 60,000 single items, $5 a piece. Like, oh yes, please. Thanks for my 300 grand. That is ridiculous. So find the value add items, find the things that incentivize people to buy, find what they love and change them. You can't do the same thing every time. Appeal to a very broad audience. Come over to these guys and say, oh, we're going to do a song. And oh, over here, we're going to do a shirt. And you know, some people like merch, some people don't. That's just how it works. Some people never want to buy t-shirts. Like I don't really buy band t-shirts anymore because most of the clothes that I buy are for Alive in Barcelona or for like the other work that I have to do. So I don't do that too much, but I love buying music. If there was a limited edition vinyl press, I might be like, if the Red Hot Chili Peppers, my favorite band came out and said like, oh yeah, if you donate at least 25 bucks, you're going to get your favorite song on a vinyl. I'd be like, sick, here's 50. <laughs> it's all about what's important to you. And there's a vast amount of things that are important to different people. So the best thing that you can do is provide a little bit of exclusivity in different areas on different outlets. And then before you know it, your network has been built. All of these different things are pulling different people with different interests in. And guess what? You get them all together and you know what they all think in common? I built Alive in Barcelona. I made so-and-so band. When people have that feeling, that's where success lies. That does it for this episode of the Band Hive Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in and listening. Now, we are going to tell you about a goal that we have for the podcast. In Apple iTunes or Apple Podcasts, ratings and reviews are incredibly important to a podcast's success. And right now, we have 13 ratings and four reviews. This episode is dropping on March 30th, 
And by April 15th, we would love to see that number up to 25 ratings and 15 reviews. So if you listen in Apple Podcasts or iTunes, please go in and leave us a rating and review, hopefully five stars, that's appreciated the most, but they are all appreciated as long as you're giving us your honest feedback. And if we hit that goal of 25 ratings and 15 reviews by April 15th, go ahead and screenshot your review and send it to us on our Instagram or our Facebook. And if we've hit that goal, we will send every person who has reviewed it in that time frame some free Bandhive stuff. So again, all you have to do is leave a rating and review in iTunes or Apple Podcasts. And if we hit that goal of 25 ratings and 15 reviews, we'll get you some free stuff after you submit a screenshot of your review. We'll be back with another new episode next Tuesday at 6 a.m. Eastern in your favorite podcasting app. Until then, have a great week, stay safe, and of course, as always, keep rocking. Scarcity. How do you say that word? Scarcity. Scarcity. Scarcity or scarcity? Scarcity. There's scarcity on everything that they pitch. Hey, you. Yeah, you. With the headphones or the speakers. You've made it to the end of the episode. Thank you so much for listening. While I still have you here, if you're not already in the Bandhive Facebook community, it would be great to see you there. We have over 600 like-minded musicians who are asking questions, sharing their experiences and advice, and much more. So if you want to improve your band's business, look no further than the Bandhive Facebook community. You can find it by searching for Bandhive on Facebook, that's B-A-N-D-H-I-V-E, or going to bandhive.rocks slash group. Again, that's bandhive.rocks slash group, and that will automatically redirect you to our Facebook community. I look forward to seeing you there soon.